0: Seltzer King's Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watts Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer King's Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Go ahead and make your little jokes there, Gavin. I just got two words for you. Oliver Cromwell, that's right, ass. The following podcast contains... You cannot say filth, flyin' filth, flyin' filth in front of people. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided that a credible attempt to overthrow the government of the United States was, you know, probably just a joke. What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 301, the woo its it's-all-been-done-before edition of the show, where we talk about that time Republicans tried to overthrow the government. No, not that one. The other one. Stay tuned. The What the Hell were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Planaputch. Are you looking to overthrow your lawfully elected government, but worry you lack the technical know-how? Have you seen other putches fail, that conspirators wind up in jail, or worse, in front of a firing squad? Then you need plan a putsch the only coup planners that promise you your government will topple, or your money back. Our staff of ex-CIA and former military special ops will examine your needs and tailor a specific and effective plan to deny the will of your people. No more angry mobs banging on doors, just quiet, competent professionals striking so silently and swiftly your nation won't even know it's been stolen until they hear about it on your propaganda broadcast. Or your money back. Take the coup out of the beer hall and put it into the boardroom with I'm Suggesting, Mr. President, there's a military plot to take over the government. This may occur sometime this coming Sunday. There are some who will say, it can never happen here. But this is the story of how it could happen in seven days of intrigue, of blackmail, of terror, an eternity of suspense. This is the astounding story of a military plot to overthrow the government of the United States, which, if successful, would change the fate of every American. My dad was Big into military histories. So I grew up in a house where the bookshelves were either lined with these dense tomes about complex campaigns and great generals, or denser tomes about rabid St. Bernard's cars that killed people and girls that could shoot fire from our fingers. My mom was really into Stephen King. And the combination of these two influences had a really huge impact on me. You can tell, can't you? And at around 12 or 13, I was browsing my dad's books and came across this massive fucking book by a cat named William L. Shirer. It was just a slab of paper and words that could kill someone if dropped from even a short height, called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And around this time, I thought that reading huge books made me appear, you know... Smart. You don't still think that, do you? Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I started reading it, and I discovered that it was not written for a 12-year-old, even one who had read The Stand. I found it dense, incomprehensible, and honestly kind of boring. Until I got to the part where young Adolf tried to take over Germany with some dudes he met at a bar. Because that was a lesson I knew I could take with me throughout my entire life. It's really the only one, because I didn't finish the book until decades later. But that lesson... That lesson, it shaped me as a person because I have spent a lot of time in bars and I've had some really crazy conversations in said bars around closing time usually. That's when the bad ideas seem utterly plausible. Like, you know, we could rent a storage shed and... We'll turn this place into a karaoke bar. But I've never been so drunk that I thought, sure, me and these other four drunk dipshits could totally overthrow the government. Why? Because I remembered what happened to Hitler. Not the part about him getting a light sentence in a cushy jail where he wrote a shitty book that would help him later rise to power, but that bad ideas could get started in bars and could have unexpected consequences like world wars and genocide. And you really have to be careful who you drink with in life. He did not just, did you just say that? Why do I bring this up? Well, it's not for the reason you might think. It's because of my laundry. That was unexpected. I was in the laundromat folding my unmentionables while listening to a podcast called This Day on Esoteric Political History, which honestly, I've thought of suing for stealing my show idea, but I'm just going to head ahead and steal their show topic in revenge. Their topic was that time a bunch of Republicans hatched a plot to overthrow the government because they didn't like the new president. Oh yeah, Republicans be plotting. And it was called The Business Plot, or, and now you see why I started the show the way I did, The White House Putsch. And I had never heard of it. Chances are that you'd never heard of it either, Pod Friends, and I knew that it was time for a way back. Our Way Back This Week defines us on July 18th, 1932. The Great Depression had crippled the nation and millions were out of work and destitute. A group of World War I veterans and their families had marched on Washington, D.C. to ask the U.S. government to pay the bonuses they had promised said veterans back in 1924. The law said that the government had until 1945 to pay the bonuses, but the veterans asked to be paid early because, you know... we are hungry motherfuckers. And that money could really get them out of a couple of jams, like buying food for them and their families. Then-President Herbert Hoover was, to put it mildly, unsympathetic to their plight. Fuck all y'all motherfuckers. The Hoover administration ordered the shanty camp where the veterans were camped, emptied and removed, and sent one General Douglas MacArthur with infantry, cavalry, and tanks to do just that. Seems a little excessive. Oh, you ain't heard nothing yet. In the wee hours of July 18th, Hoover was getting cold feet about the optics of the army charging a group of hungry veterans and ordered macarthur not to cross the Anacostia bridge and storm the camp but we're talking doug MacArthur here and he did what doug do and went right ahead and ignored hoover across the river and attacked the veterans with fixed bayonets and one of the many ironies of the event gassed the veterans who had fought in a war famous from the use of poison gas that was a total dick move There were several injuries and a couple of deaths associated with the incident, but as we all know, Doug wouldn't get his comeuppance until he crossed a totally different river into China decades later. It did, however, pretty much seal Hoover's fate when it came the fall and his epic loss to Roosevelt in a landslide. And it was this landslide that began the plot. Quoting from Wikipedia, quote, Roosevelt's election was upsetting for many conservative businessmen at the time, as his campaign promise that the government would provide jobs for all unemployment had the perverse effect of creating a new wave of unemployment by businessmen frightened by fears of socialism and reckless government spending. Jules Archer, in the plot to seize the White House, wrote that with the end of the gold standard, they, the conservatives were financiers were horrified. They could viewed a currency not solidly backed by gold as inflationary, undermining both private business, private and business fortunes, and leading to national bankruptcy. Roosevelt was damned as a socialist or communist out to destroy private enterprise by sapping the gold, backing the wealth, in order to subsidize the poor." Unquote. After all, we are Republican. What, you may ask, do poor veterans and rich fucks have to do with what we're talking about? Well, hold on. Let me get there naturally. Now, as Roosevelt is taking office and begins to lay out the basic tenets behind the New Deal, the rich and powerful did what the rich and powerful do. They drank expensive illegal liquor and began to think about what they should do about this Roosevelt fellow. Now, I don't know if they had a dark and sinister code name, but I'm just going to go ahead and call them the Cabal. Because if you've got people like Irène DuPont, right-wing chemical industrious and founder of the American Liberty League, the organization assigned to execute the plot, Grayson Murphy, director of Goodyear, Bethlehem Steel, and a group of J.P. Morgan banks, William Doyle, former state commander of the American Legion and a central plotter of the coup, John Davis, former Democratic presidential candidate and a senior attorney for J.P. Morgan, Al Smith, Roosevelt's bitter political foe from New York, Smith was a former governor of New York and a co-director of the American Liberty League, John J. Raskin, a high-ranking DuPont officer and a former chairman of the Democratic Party. In later decades, Raskin would become a knight of Malta, a Roman Catholic religious order with a high percentage of CIA spies, including including CIA directors William Casey, William Colby, John McCone, Robert Clark, one of the Wall Street's richest bankers and stockbrokers, Gerald Maguire, bond salesman for Clark, and a former commander of the Connecticut American Legion, unquote. You got yourself a cabal because that isn't even the darkest chapter of this cabal because the cabal... Also included luminaries such as Heinz, Birdseye, Good Tea, and Mother Fucking Maxwell House. That's right, Big Coffee. I mean, a venti? No, no, Gavin. Like big business, but big, never mind. <sighs> and the whole thing was headed up by none other than Prescott. Bush. Okay, technically I don't know that Senator Prescott Bush was in charge, but come on, you know Prescott Bush was in charge. Oh, yeah, if you didn't know, Prescott Bush, the father of George H.W., the grandfather of George W., you don't have to dig around in shit very deep to find a Bush fucking up America. And oh, I know, I know, I know, some of you out there are going to say, Dave, you mentioned a whole bunch of Democrats in that list, but you're blaming Republicans for this. But no, these are New York Democrats. They are under the thumb of fucking Wall Street. Always have been, always will be. I just need to mention two fucking words, drop one fucking name to prove my point. Andrew fucking Cuomo. I rest my case. <laughs> You can't argue with that logic. So these fuckers got together and began brainstorming and decided that what America really needed was our very own Adolf Hitler. Get the fuck out of here. Go on, get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Well, at this time, it was actually more Mussolini because Hitler hadn't taken over yet. and But they really liked how Benito was getting Italy back together and bringing the economy back from the depression while America was still languishing in the depths and thought to themselves, a dictatorship, that might do the trick. And hell, they weren't the only ones. A decent chunk of American citizens were also thinking the best way out of this mess was to chuck this whole fucking crazy democracy thing and go with authoritarianism. Now, they weren't running around wearing red hats and holding boat parades, but they were definitely proto-MAGA, and they had their own Hannity's and Tuckers. We've talked about Father Coughlin on this pod before. His radio show was openly advocating fascism as the cure to our national ills, and yes, they had their own Antonio sabato jr and none other than charles Lindbergh, who was all in on the fascism now someone in the cabal let's just go ahead and call it prescott bush came up with the idea of using thousands of poor desperate hungry and pissed off veterans as troops in their little fascist coup continuing a long line of rich fucks using poor dumb white people to further their own ends and do all the dying see uh All of American history with special attention to the United States Civil War. How very American of you. Quoting from MilitaryHistoryNow.com, quote... In 1933, the conspirators planned to recruit half a million military veterans from the First World War through various American Legion branches. They even pledged to buy $3 million of weapons for their army so the troops could capture and hold the American capital. Once the seat of power were theirs, the the plotters could install an ultra-nationalist, business-friendly regime modeled after Mussolini's Italy. Many conspirators were also admirers of Hitler, even before the Nazis came to power, largely because of his ardent anti-communism, unquote. But they knew, they knew, they would need a leader. Someone loved and respected by the troops with an impeccable reputation for honor and integrity, who was at least on the outside sympathetic to the cause of American democracy, but most important of all, could take the fall. I need to find a patsy, quick. And almost instantly, they chose General Smedley Darlington Butler. You are totally making this up. No, definitely not. That is actually his real name. It is, however, a very funny name. Just don't ever laugh at the name in front of any U.S. Marine that would be bad for you. From Wikipedia, quote, Major General Smudley Darlington Butler, born July 30th, 1881, died July 21st, 1940, nicknamed Old Gimlet Eye, was a senior United States Marine Corps officer who fought in both the Mexican Revolution, World War I, and World War I. Butler was, at the time of his death, the most decorated Marine in history. During his 34-year career as a Marine, he participated in military actions in the Philippines, China, Central America, and the Caribbean during the Banana Wars, as well as in France in World War One. unquote. Smedley was a wine badass who had the misfortune to serve in the Marines during some of the worst of American shenanigans around the world. He was in the thick of our colonial expansion wars in Central America and the Philippines and saw and did shit that would turn your hair white. He won the Medal of Honor twice, one of only two people in history to do so, and was recommended for a third fucking Medal of Honor after single-handedly charging a machine gun emplacement at the Battle of Belleau Wood during World War I. It was bumped down because, dude, motherfucker already got two, and that'd just be tacky if you gave him three, I guess. You mentioned Smedley Butter Marine, and they will simultaneously get an erection and get all weepy And you never, ever want to be around a horned up, but crying Marine. Trust me on this. Butler had tried to broker an agreement in the bonus army standoff I mentioned up at the top of this. And he thought he'd pulled it off right up until the time Doug MacArthur rolled tanks into the camp a day or so after he had left. To say that this pissed Smedley off is a... It's a bit of an understatement, and he became a loud opponent of the government in general and Herbert Hoover specifically. So the cabal looked at Smedley Butler and thought to themselves, We can use this. Here's a guy loved by the people, pissed off at the government, and probably not very smart since he joined the military and all. He can be our figurehead for this little coup, and we can run things behind the scene because, come on, these military guys are all just suckers and losers. Am I right? (laughs) I'm going to quote now from a website called huppy.com, which I know sounds dubious, but the information checks out. Quote, the plotters attempted to recruit General Smedley Butler to lead the coup. They selected him because he was a war hero was popular with the troops. And the plotters felt this good reputation was important to make the troops feel confident that they were doing the right thing by overthrowing a democr- democratically elected president. However, this was a... Mister- Butler was popular with the troops because he identified with them. That is, he was a man of the people, not the elite. When the plotters approached General Butler with their proposal to lead the coup, he pretended to go along with the plan at first, secretly deciding to betray it to Congress at the right moment. What the businessmen proposed was dramatic. They wanted General Butler to deliver an ultimatum to Roosevelt. Roosevelt would pretend to become sick and incapacitated from his polio and allow a newly created cabinet officer, a secretary of general affairs, to run things in his stead. The secretary, of course, would be carrying out the orders of Wall Street. If Roosevelt refused, then General Butler would force him out with an army of 500,000 war veterans from the American Legion. But McGuire assured Butler, McGuire being one of the leaders of the coup, assured butler that the cover story would work you know the american people will swallow that we've got the newspapers we'll start a campaign that the president's health is failing everyone can tell that by looking at him and the dumb american people will fall for it in a second the businessman also promised that money was no object clark another one of the uh, the plotters told butler that he could spend half of his 60 million dollar fortune to save the other half unquote You see, pod friends, Smedley Darlington Butler, stone cold fucking war hero, total ass kicker, had, like so many other veterans, learned that all of our sacrifices and blood weren't so much about securing democracy and protecting America, but more about capitalism at work. And dude that had fought a literal war for banana companies realized that it was fuckers like these Wall Street dickbags that drove so many American wars and then left its soldiers hanging high and dry when the fighting was done. They could not have chosen a worse person to be their patsy. He hung around just long enough to get all the details and then promptly went to Congress and the plot promptly fell apart. So, it's over, right? The good guys won and you're probably wondering. What? Why have I not heard about this before? Oh, come on. You just lived through this, people. You already know why you've never heard of it. Again, from Huppy.com quote, The general reveal the details of the coup before the McCormick Dickstein. Committee, which would later become the Notorious House Un-American Activities Committee. The committee heard the testimony of General Butler, but failed to call in any of the coup plotters for questioning. In fact, the committee whitewashed the public version of this report, deleting the names of powerful businessmen whose reputations they sought to protect. The most likely reason for this response is that Wall Street had (laughs) undue influence in Congress. You think? Even more alarming, the elite-controlled media failed to pick up on the story, and even today, the incident remains little known. The elite managed to spin the story as nothing more than rumors and hearsay, even though Butler was a Quaker of unimpeachable honesty and integrity. Butler, appalled by the cover-up, went on national radio to denounce it, but met... With little success, unquote. The fuck? The fuck? What <laughs> the f- This is how the McCormick Dickstein... <laughs> committee's report summed it up, quote, In the last few weeks of the committee's official life, it received evidence showing that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. No evidence was presented to this committee... Showing a connection between this effort and any fascist activity in any European country. And there's no questions that these attempts were discussed, were planned, might have even been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. This committee received evidence from Major General Smedley D. Butler, retired, twice decorated by the Congress of the United States, and he testified before the committee as to conversations with one Gerald C. McGuire, in which the latter is alleged to have suggested the formation of a fascist army under the leadership of General Butler. But McGuire denied these allegations under oath. But your committee was able to verify all the pertinent statements by General Butler, with the exception of of the direct statement suggesting the creation of the actual organization. This, however, was kind of coordinated and corroborated in the correspondence of McGuire with his principal, Robert Sterling Clark from New York City, while McGuire was abroad studying the Fires Forums of Veterans Organization of a Fascist Character, unquote. So, you know, nothing to see there. Nothing happened. Not a goddamn thing. The committee refused to call... Further witnesses? Where have I heard that before? Released a pro-forma report saying that there was smoke but no fire and the entire thing was swept under the rug with a kind of ruthless efficiency that if displayed in helping the American people could have solved all of our national problems in about a week. Butler would go on to write his seminal book, War is a Racket, which would directly influence Dwight David Eisenhower's military industrial complex speech as he left office, which no one listened to. And Butler died in 1940. He died a hero, and the kerfuffle in the White House coup, also known as the business plot, remains largely forgotten and ignored. It would take until 1967 when a journalist by the name of John Spivak, writing rather regretfully for the time for the communist newspaper The New Masses, unearthed the secret report from McCormick Dickstein. I won't do it again essentially confirming that they knew all about the plot that it wasn't a hoax and while they were weren't certain how close it was to fruition it was a very real and very well connected coup attempt that had a plausible chance of succeeding some believe that roosevelt actually knew and quashed the report and then used it as leverage to get the plotters to shut the fuck up and go along with his new deal initiatives which honestly is quite plausible and very Rooseveltian because, again, New York Democrat, but also utterly unproven. And there's a lot here I haven't even touched on, like how the cabal connected Roosevelt to the ever-present international Jewish conspiracy or how much money was allocated and the depths in which the American Legion was involved in the coup and how the media actively worked with the cabal to minimize the incidents – Hell, fascists weren't even the bad guys yet in 1933. From Wikipedia, quote, New York's mayor, Fiorello LaGuardia, a New York Democrat, a supporter of the fascist program of Mussolini, coined the term cocktail putch to describe the butler story. Hey, it's a joke of some kind. He told the wire services, someone at a party suggested the idea of the ex-marine is a joke, unquote. The whole thing was laughed off, covered up, and generally ignored because the people behind it were the most powerful fucking people in the United States of America. So, you know, color me unsurprised when the latest coup just gets brushed off, ignored by the Congress, because we all just play the same three chords and then we yawn and say, I'm bored because woo-hoo-hoo, it's all been done before. That is it for our show this week. The longer I live, the more surprised I am that society hasn't already crumbled down around our ears. I mean, Wall Street literally plotted a coup, and you know, not a goddamn thing happened. Then, 70 years later, it happened again. Maybe not with Wall Street directly, but you know some motherfuckers were in there. And again, (laughs) nothing happened. That's, That's why I do this show. Because nothing is new in the world. It's all the same shit happening over and over and over again. Speaking of the same shit happening over and over and over again, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. It helps others find the show, listen to it, and realize it's basically the same show in a 100-episode loop. (laughs) Follow the show on the social, the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, and the show name on Facebook where all my repetitive thoughts are looped every 24 hours versus every 100 episodes. Support us on Patreon where all the shows are early and ad-free for just a buck and you can get more stuff with more money because, hey, we're like that. You can find all of our shows at whatthehellpodcast.com and finally check out all the shows on the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. So for me, Dave, all alone and bored on a 30th century night, let so, producer... Perhaps you'll see me on The Price is Right. Oh, my God, this is so stupid. Why do we keep doing the same joke over and over and over again? Gavin and all the fictional bare naked ladies on this show, we want to say, you know, the past was much more fun. What with the plagues, the lack of medicine, the bad hospitals, the doctors that wanted to bleed you. Yeah, it was much more fun. And we'll see you all next week. If I say I love you dear, and I play same you What the hell been were you done. thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin it's St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as what the Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer King's Podcasts.